Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. If you have not been here over the last few weeks, we have been in a series titled Hard to Forgive. Because the reality is we all want forgiveness, but it's very difficult to give out especially when somebody has hurt us or devastated us or broken our hearts in a million pieces or said something about you and your family. And the reality is it's, it's hard to love people like Jesus did. It's hard to offer them the other cheek when they've already taken advantage of you. And so I've been praying throughout this series that God will give us the strength to see things with a new perspective. And again, last week I told you the Holy Spirit was just messing with me Messed up all my plans, um, and one of my plans was to be done with this series today. Well, guess what? We got one more week for this series um, because the Lord is moving, and we're learning so much, okay? Um, but it's hard. It's hard to forgive, but I do want to share this revelation with you today. The only way to guard your heart from bitterness and hate is to forgive, when you forgive, it's actually a method, a way to guard your heart from the enemy getting into your thoughts, into your heart, into your life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 states why this is so important. We are to guard our hearts above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. What's in your heart flows out of you and it determines the rest of your life. Meaning if bitterness starts to consume you and overtake you, you're gonna make some really bad decisions in life because now you're moving by hate instead of forgiveness. And we're learning from the tragic story of King David and his son Absalom. Now, I also warned you last week that part of the story is, is pretty crazy. Some of it could be on Dateline. The other part of it could be on the Jerry Springer show. And I did uh, warn you that today's gonna get a little bit rated R just because we're reading the Bible. You didn't know the Bible could be that interesting, but it is, okay? So I just wanted to prepare you for that. But King David had a tainted relationship with his son, Absalom. Why? Here's a quick recap of what we talked about last week. Absalom had murdered his half-brother Amnon for taking advantage of his sister, Tamar. And once he committed the murder, he also fled the scene and he left. And the Bible says that he left the kingdom for three years. And so for three years, David longed to see his son Absalom. See, here's the thing. David still loved his son. David still cherished his son. Even though David had some pain to go through with Amnon, he forgave a little bit in his heart, but he didn't know how to reach out. And for some of us, that's the same problem that we deal with on a daily basis. It's like you want to say the words, you just don't have the words to say. You want to reach out, but you just never make the text. You never send the text. You never give a phone call. And so for three years, a father did not speak to his son. They were devastated. And so Joab, the commander of David's army, had had enough. And so he reached David's heart through a widow's story and convinced David to bring Absalom back home. And that's where we left off. And you would think the story would get better from there. Okay, the son came home. Everything's gonna be good. But unfortunately, the story only gets worse. And we're gonna learn why from David's story. So the title of today's message is, It's Hard to Forgive Yourself. It's very difficult for some of us to forgive ourselves of our past mistakes and the things that we have done, especially right now, if you're dealing with those consequences. But the Lord has forgiven you, and I believe today is gonna be uh, healing, for not only for you, but also for your entire family. But let's go ahead and dive in. Point number one is this. Faking forgiveness only creates a deeper division. When you fake forgiveness in your life, it only creates a deeper division. Why? Because people know if you really have forgiven or not. How do they know? By the things that you say, right? 
your, what you do in your life. Have you ever heard somebody say, I've forgiven them and I let it go, but I can't stand them. Well, no, you haven't forgiven them then. You're letting me know what they did to you. Or sometimes they kind of subtly say, you know, I really let it go, but did you know that they hurt me and you can't trust them? Or I, I have forgiven them, but I'll never forget. You know what I mean? Like we start to say these things and so we can tell, hey, there's still some unforgiveness. There's still some bitterness in your heart that you have to face and deal with. Second Samuel chapter 14, verse 23 and 24. Then Joab went to Geshur and he brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. So he went and got David's son, brought him back to Jerusalem. And the king, talking about David, gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. I don't wanna see his face. I don't wanna be around him. I don't wanna be in the same room at all. And so the, uh, Absalom came back home, but he did not see the king. And what we notice here is that neither King David or Absalom were willing to apologize to each other. Neither one of them were willing to repent. See, Absalom should have repented. Why? Because he murdered Amnon. But he thought in his own mind that he was justified for doing so because of what Amnon did to his sister. But he needed to repent. For the Bible is very clear. Never take personal revenge but give it to the Lord instead. Why? Because he is the only just judge. When you take revenge, revenge you're declaring yourself to be the judge. And one day you're gonna to have to stand before the true judge in the kingdom of heaven. But also David never apologized either as a father. He should have said, I'm sorry. He should have said, I'm sorry to Absalom for not stepping up because if you remember the story, King David did nothing about it. The Bible said he heard about the situation. He became very angry, but he took no action as a father. And when you do not take action over your own house, the devil will. The enemy will always walk into your house when you do not protect your house or your children. He should have comforted his own daughter, but he wasn't there for her. Tamar, when she was taken advantage of, she didn't even run to her dad. She ran to Absalom instead. And it just shows us the connection wasn't really there. He wasn't a good father. And he should have said, I'm sorry, but neither one of them wanted to say, I'm sorry at all. Do you know somebody like that? Don't point to your spouse, okay? Let's save that for counseling, okay, later on. But do you know somebody like that who never says, I'm sorry? No matter what hurt they have brought into your life, no matter how many times they have broken your heart, or maybe, just maybe, they blame you instead of putting any of the blame on themselves instead. And so here's a revelation. When you do not repent, when you do not say, I'm sorry, you actually rob yourself of a healing. Did you know that? When you don't repent about something bad that you did to somebody else, you rob yourself of a healing. James chapter five, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins, your wrongs to each other. I did you wrong. Please forgive me. Pray for each other. Sometimes the hardest test to see if you've forgiven somebody, it's just to pray blessings over their life. Isn't that hard? God, will you just please bless this person that hurt me so bad? And as you bless them, can you also make sure they stump their toe on something too so that they're hurt? Just a little bit of pain would make me feel better. It's very difficult to, though to, to pray for those people. But again, remember the Lord's prayer. Jesus taught us to pray like this. God, forgive me of my sins as I forgive others. I wanna challenge you to pray that every day because every morning I've been praying that and it reminds me, God, please give me strength and help me to forgive others in the same way you forgive me. Because Easily, as human beings, we can hold things over other people's heads and we can remind them over and over again of their faults and their mistakes. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't do that with you. So why would you do that to other people? And, and so we rob ourselves of a healing. There is no healing without repentance. But this also leads us to a very big question that I get asked as a pastor a lot. Then what is biblical forgiveness? 
what is biblical forgiveness at all, okay? And so I got a few points that I wanna share with you here. The first thing is this, biblical forgiveness, according to the word of God, I love this, is how we outsmart the devil. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that because the devil has schemes and one of his schemes is to get inside of your heart and he uses sin to do so. When you have bitterness in your heart, did you know that that's an open door for the enemy to come in? When you have anger in your heart, that's also an open door for the enemy to get into your thoughts, to have you think like him so that you go after other people. And what I wanna say is this, bitterness is a stronghold. And the Bible talks about strongholds. What are strongholds? This means that when bitterness gets in your heart, it doesn't want to leave. It wants to stay there. It wants to hide. It wants to take root. And it wants to consume you, control you, and grow. And so I love this verse out of 2 Corinthians because Paul is instructing the Corinthian church. He's saying, listen, we are called to forgive. And he's using an example here of somebody who not only hurt him, but hurt the entire church. But he's saying, listen, we must forgive this person so that this person can be saved and we can outwit the schemes of the devil. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse five. He said, I'm not overstating it when I say the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough, meaning the church should correct people at times. We should also correct people out of love. If somebody is sinning and living in sin, it is actually our responsibility to show them the truth, not to condemn them, but to show, hey, this is not good for your life. You're allowing the devil to use you right now. You need to go a opposite direction. So they corrected him. And then he says, the punishment was enough. Now, however, Paul says, it is time to forgive. It's time to comfort him. Somebody did you wrong. Somebody did the church wrong. Somebody did me wrong, Paul is saying. But now it's time for us all to forgive him and comfort him. Why? Otherwise, he may be overcome with discouragement. He may walk away from Jesus so I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. Now listen to this. For I wrote to you as I did to test you. And I wrote this to see if you would comply with my instructions, meaning forgiveness is a test from God. Forgiveness is also a test upon your heart. Will you choose to obey God and trust him over taking control on your own and trying to hurt somebody back. Forgiveness is a test. God forgives you every single day. And did you know that the Bible is also clear? If you do not forgive other people, guess what? God will not forgive you of your sins. He's showing you grace every single day, but yet you won't show grace to somebody else. You won't show love to somebody else who has hurt you. Paul says, listen, it's a test. You must pass this test. For when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. Here it is. So that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with this evil schemes. Meaning, again, bitterness is an open door into your heart. What does Satan know about bitterness and anger? Satan knows that hurt people love to hurt people. If you're hurt on the inside and you feel damaged, it's very easy for you to take out your anger and your frustration on other people. Why? Because you're hurt on the inside and you don't know how to see it healed. Now, this is powerful, though. I do need you to understand this. Unforgiveness is also the language of hell. Unforgiveness is it's the culture and language of hell. And the devil also knows that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, it will separate you from the presence of God. Because that's what unforgiveness does. But you can outsmart the devil when you forgive. It's a way to guard your heart. Second is this though, biblical forgiveness, I love this, is choosing to remove your hurt from your future. Biblical forgiveness is choosing to remove your hurt from your future because unforgiveness, guess what it's gonna do? It's gonna keep you in a prison of your past mistakes. 
if you do not forgive, if you do not let it go, guess what happens to the situation in your head? You have those thoughts over and over and over again of what you did wrong, who hurt you, and who came against you. In fact, I have counseled people who have lost sleep over this who cannot sleep at night because of what somebody did to them and they're so devastated over their life falling apart. There is no rest. There is no peace. Why? Because they're choosing to hold on to the past mistakes, the past hurt. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a hard choice to make, but it means that you're letting it go and giving it over to the Lord. But how many past mistakes are you holding on to Let me ask it like this. When you get into an argument with your spouse or in a relationship or somebody you know, do you hold their past mistakes over their head? When you get into an argument, do you start to bring up the past, the mistakes, things that happened that you were supposed to let go because you said you forgave them a long time ago, but you keep bringing it up so that way you win the argument or you get what you want. You hold it over your head, over their head. Again, this is not what the Lord does with you, does he? How many of you would like that from the Lord? That every time you try to change or or do better in life, he keeps reminding you of past mistakes. No, the Bible was very clear. God doesn't do that with us. Jeremiah 31 verse 34, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Thank you, Jesus. But what does this mean? Because listen, it's not that God forgets our sins because even as human beings, we don't forget the past mistakes. Here's what it means. It means God chooses to leave the past in the past. The Lord chooses to leave the past in the past. He chooses to forgive us because he sees us as his child and he loves us and he has a special plan for our life. And so what do we do? We need to learn from it. We need to grow, but we do not need to use past mistakes as ammo on somebody else to win an argument. But the last thing I want to share too about biblical forgiveness is this. Biblical forgiveness, by definition, actually means forward giving. I have a little illustration with this. I talked about this last week. Go ahead and bring, the, bring these guys out and the, the weight. I'm gonna use my son today to do this illustration. Y'all give them a hand just for coming out here. All right, all right you're gonna stay right here. Jason, go ahead and put the weight right here. All right. When I talk about forgiveness and we say, let things go, for a lot of us, we think that that means the person is getting away with the hurt. We think think that means that this person is getting away with what they did to us, the devastation they brought into our life. If I just forgive it and let them go, then they just get away with it all. But that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means forward giving. Okay, Mikey, you've been working out, buddy. Let's see if you can pick this up. You got it. Go ahead. Pick it up, pick it up, come on, come on. (laughs) Put it down, put it down. Can you carry this all day? No. That's how God sees us. He sees the weight in our life that is bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. And that's exactly how we look. And we're carrying it around everywhere that we go. It's heavy. Try to pick it up one more time. All right, now try to bring it to me. You got this. You got this. You got it. Come on. Come on. Here we go. There we go. Oh, buddy. But here's what happens. Sometimes God does allow us to struggle with it. Bring it to the Holy Father who can pick it up with no problem. And so what forgiveness means, it's forward giving. It's God taking away the weight that we can't handle. The weight that we're not designed to to hold every single day. God is saying, listen, I am the just judge. And because I'm a loving father, I will take the things that the world has brought upon you and I will hold it myself. Because the Lord is strong enough to deal with those things. And so it's forward giving. It's not that they get away with it. It's that God is stronger and he can take care better of them uh, than we could ourselves. He can take care of the situation better than we ever could. Y'all give Micah a hand. Don't worry, buddy. You don't have to take it back there. 
<laughs> oh, but that's biblical forgiveness. It's forward giving. And God is freeing you from some weight in your life. Isn't that amazing? And so I wanted to give that illustration because that's how it feels too. I, I see people come down to the altar and when they give it away, they're like, I feel free. And I haven't felt this way in a very long time, but today I feel like Jesus has delivered me from a weight and a hurt that's been there far too long. And so let's get back to the story. And so Absalom thought coming home would bring some kind of closure between him and his father, but it only allowed bitterness to grow because his father didn't want to see him. He said, I don't want him in my presence. I don't want to see his face. And so guess what? It caused chaos in Absalom's life. And so Absalom used chaos as a cry for attention. And we do that too sometimes. Sometimes we just allow everything to fall apart and do the wrong things just for a cry of help because we have no other way of knowing how to fix our problems. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 14, 29 through 32, it says, then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him. But Joab refused to come. Absalom is asking Joab, hey, allow me to see my father. But Joab says, no, he doesn't come. So Absalom sent for him a second time, but again, Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, listen to this, go and set fire to Joab's barley field. The field is next to mine. So they set his field on fire. Then Absalom came. <laughs> I mean, then, then uh, Joab came. So Absalom had commanded, then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, why did your servants set my field on fire. And Absalom replied, because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back home from Geshir if he didn't want to see me. Listen to how real that is, though. Why did dad bring me back home if he doesn't want to see my face? Why did he tell me to come back home at all if he doesn't want to be around me, doesn't want to speak to me, doesn't want to have a relationship with me? I don't get it. So I burned your field because I'm crying out for attention. Nobody's listening to me. I feel like I'm yelling. I'm, I'm trying to get your attention, but I took drastic measures just for you to come out. I want to know why. And then he said, I might as well have stayed there. And he said, let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. And he's also exposing his heart right here because Absalom believes that he is justified in the murder of Amnon. He is demanding right here, let me see my father for I am justified in what I did. If he finds wrong in me, then so be it. But I don't see any wrong in myself. And I can't help but notice the contrast here between Absalom's story and the story of the prodigal son. When Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, what did the son do when he came back home? He humbled himself and he repented and he ran into his father's arms and Jesus was revealing, this is how you see healing in a relationship, especially within the family. But instead, Absalom came home. David didn't want to see him. So David set the fields on fire. Meaning, when you allow bitterness to grow on the inside, it's like playing with fire. Eventually, everything will get burnt. And your relationships will get burned as well. And so this action forced a very cold meeting. And, and I just want you to see in the story what it took for David and Absalom to see each other Again, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 33. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last, David summoned Absalom. He came and bowed low before the king and the king kissed him and that was it. That was it. Do you see what could have happened here? David could have said, hey, there needs to be some correction in your life, Absalom, as a good father, he could have said what you did was wrong. He also could have said as a father, I'm sorry too. I love you. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I have made in the past that I didn't come through and help the situation at all. But you have also done wrong. As a father right here, he could have set some boundaries. 
some good boundaries because it's okay. There are biblical boundaries that you can set to build trust again. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that you're just allowing everybody back into your inner circle. You can freely forgive, but trust takes time. Trust takes time. And so they could have set some boundaries in order to build that trust in, but instead they were passive about it. This was David's fault from the beginning. He had always been a passive father who just pretended everything was okay. And what I need you to see is that he enabled Absalom to do more evil by not correcting his wrongs. Biblical forgiveness is also not enabling people to do evil. You're not just allowing people to do more wrong into your life or to hurt you over and over again. You do have to protect yourself. But biblical, biblical forgiveness means I'm choosing to forgive you and let it go, and I will set boundaries on what it's right to see you from here to there. But nothing was said. They pretended that everything was okay. And that's not how you heal a wound. That's how you slap a Band-Aid on it. And unfortunately, a lot of us have relationships just like that. Because you don't want to have the conversation. Because you don't want to talk about your feelings or the past mistakes. And so I'm here to tell you today, the wounds only get deeper and worse. And guess what? If you don't allow it to heal, the wounds get infected. And so do your relationships. Fake forgiveness creates deeper division. Now, this leads to point number two, which is this. Division is a demonic mindset. A culture of division is actually a demonic mindset according to the Bible. Since Absalom did not get the closure that he wanted with his father, guess what he decided? He decided that he would be a better king than his father could be. So he planned from here on to steal the kingdom of Israel away from David. And this is how you know unforgiveness is demonic. Did you know, according to the Bible, that God hates division? There are actually six things the Lord hates, but it says seven of them he detests, and that is a divisive person, somebody who sows discord among the family. Proverbs 56, verse 16 through 19, there are six things that the Lord hates. No, seven things that he detests, haughty eyes a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in the family. Somebody who sows division. Why? Because God knows the heartache of division. He knows what Satan wants to do, and Satan's main goal goal is to cause division in the house of God. In the family of God, this is his strategy. Why? Because Satan wants to be God. You realize that in the scriptures that he wanted to sit on God's throne so much that he caused a division in the kingdom of heaven. And because of the serpent's lies, one third of the angels fell down with Satan from heaven. Revelation chapter 12, verse nine, the great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. He caused division in the kingdom of heaven. So, okay, so it's ironic here. Now notice here, Absalom has an open door to bitterness and bitterness is speaking the same things to Absalom as Satan tried to do to the kingdom of heaven. He's telling Absalom, this, this spirit of bitterness is telling Absalom, hey, you can do a better job than your father. Your father doesn't care about justice. He's not a good king. You should be king instead. Go ahead and take away his throne. Steal it from him. You would be a better person in this position. Be careful when those thoughts enter into your mind that I would be a better person in this position. And it may be true, but you allow God to open up that door at the right time. Don't ever force something, don't ever steal or deceive to walk into a position because that's not from the character of God, that's from the character of the devil. And you need to guard your heart when it comes to that. And so here is a warning according to the word of God, do not give the devil a foothold. 
No open doors to your heart. Ephesians 4, verse 27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. It gives the devil an opportunity to come into your life. What's he going to do? He's going to twist your mind to think in the same way he thinks. Because that's what happened with the spirit of bitterness in Absalom's life. It's the same convincing, the same thoughts that he could overtake his father's throne. Satan is always trying to get you to think the way he thinks. What did he do with Adam and Eve? Did God really say? Or can you just be like God? Can you just allow your eyes to be open? He even tried to do the same thing with Jesus. Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these things. He's trying to convince you to think like him because how you think shapes your life and flows from your heart. Proverbs chapter 23, verse seven states it like this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, that's who you become. It shapes your life. And so the battle is over your mind and your thoughts and you have to be trained and discipled to take your thoughts and allow them to see the word of God instead. To place your thoughts according to the Bible. If you're feeling anger right now, what does the Bible say about anger? If you're feeling jealousy right now, what does the Bible say about jealousy? Train your thoughts to understand the word of God. I want to hold on to bitterness because that's my flesh. But the word of the Lord says that I won't inherit the kingdom of God. Then I won't be free. Then I won't be healed. So I'm going to trust God over the way I feel right now. But Absalom's plan of division allowed him to deceive and steal the people's hearts away from Israel um, or the people of Israel away from David. So here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is always gonna reveal to you the plans of the enemy. The Bible will always reveal to you what Satan is trying to do to your family, what he's trying to do to the church, what he's trying to do to your business, and you can recognize his schemes and stop it quick. Okay, so we're gonna talk about division and what the enemy and how the enemy brings division into your life. And when you start to see division, you need to stop it very quickly. Division is very dangerous. And again, it is a demonic mindset. So first, here's what we learned from the story of Absalom. Division starts when planted thoughts of discord take root. The enemy always tries to plant thoughts of division. And he wants them to take root. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord, but they are serving, listen to this, their own personal interests, their own agendas by smooth talk and glowing words or flowing words. They deceive the innocent people. What was the first thing that Absalom did to bring the people of Israel into his, into his life? Okay, he created an entourage. The first thing that he did was create an entourage to impress people by the way that he looked. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse one, it says, after this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of them. He was giving the people the look they wanted. I'm somebody, I'm somebody important. If you wanna feel important, get to some bodyguards. Get 50 of them, okay? Get you some horses and some chariots and ride into Jerusalem and let everybody see you are somebody. So isn't it interesting that Jesus came into Jerusalem the exact opposite way? In the exact opposite way? How did Jesus ride into Jerusalem? On a donkey. Matthew chapter 21, verse five. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble and riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, okay? But Absalom wanted to create this image for himself so that people would respect him. And as soon as they started to respect him, he started to plant thoughts in their heads against David. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse two and three. He got up early in the morning and went out to the gate of the city. Now notice his dedication, the man is getting up early in the morning and he knows where to position himself. He positions himself right at the gate so that he sees everybody coming and wants to see the king. And then it says, when people brought a case to the king for judgment, 
Absalom would ask them where in Israel they were from, and then he would tell him their tribe, then they would tell him their tribe, then Absalom would say, oh, you got a really good story. You got a really strong case right there. Too bad nobody's here to listen to it. A little snake, you know what I mean? You see what he's doing? He has an entourage. He has the look. He's got the bodyguards. He looks like somebody important. He's standing at the gate. Then he's saying, oh, you got a really good story, but the king doesn't care about you. The king doesn't care to hear about your story or what's going in or what's happening in your life right now. So what is he doing? He's planting thoughts of division. This is what the enemy does. Second is this, division becomes a language. Do you know that? Division becomes a language that disrespects authority. So he first says, oh, that's a good story, but nobody's here to listen to it. Then he says in verses four through six, I wish I were the judge. Because if I were the judge, then everyone could bring their case to me and I would listen to them for justice. I can bring justice better than my father ever could is what he's saying. And then when people tried to bow down to him, Absalom wouldn't let them. This was all for show. Instead, he took them by the hand and he kissed them. And you know, the Bible says, be careful of flattery. Because some people use smooth words and smooth talk and try to flatter you just to get what they want. Their own personal agenda, so be aware of that. And Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. Now listen to this. So he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Absalom was disrespecting David's authority in the same way, here it is, that Satan disrespected God's kingship. What did Satan say? Isaiah 14, verse 13, allows us to see, for you said to yourself, this is what Satan said, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Be careful of those who say, I can do it better. Be cautious of those that always say, I can do it better, or I have all the answers, or if everybody just came to me, then everybody would be happy, right? for those people because division is a language and division is spoken in a way that always disrespects the authority that God has set in place and here's a warning okay because no matter how frustrated you are or the things that you've said in the past over authority listen God has placed that authority there and it's our job as believers as Christians to just listen to the Lord and allow him to open up the right doors at the right time because also the Bible is very clear. You will be accountable for every word that you've said. You'll be held accountable for every word that you've spoken against somebody, against somebody's authority, against somebody's position. Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37, I tell you that everyone will have to answer for all the careless things they have said. And this will happen on the day of judgment. Your words, listen to this, your words will be used to judge you. What you have said will show whether you are right or whether you are guilty. If you wanna condemn others all the time, then by your own words, you condemn you. You'll be held accountable for every word that you've said before the presence of God. But third is this, division uses schemes to recruit. 2 Samuel 15, 7 through 11, after four years, which tells us for four years, he was deceiving the people. He was flattering the people. Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Geshur and Aram, Aram, I promised a sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, this is David, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, listen to this, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king of Hebron. 
And he took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing about his intentions. So again, if you have to scheme and deceive your way into a position, this is not the position for you because that goes against the character of God. And God is always teaching us patience for the right time. But we know those that are always scheming, always trying to plan, always trying to grind to get ahead of us and steal away a position that does not belong to them. The story takes a darker turn. All right. Um, what is the devil gonna try to do when it comes to the vision? He's gonna try to attack and steal those that are closest to you. If you've ever experienced division in your life, division in your family, division in the church, division in your business, the enemy is always going to try to reach those that are closest to you. And this is why you need to be on guard of the enemy's schemes. 2 Samuel 15, verse 12, it says, while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon many others also joined Absalom and the conspiracy gained momentum. Do you remember that name? Ahithophel? A few weeks back, we, we talked about it's hard to forgive those that you love. And the moment that David saw Bathsheba and had sinned because of his own lust, he betrayed some of those that were closest to him. Ahithophel was one of those men, one of those mighty men that risked it all for David that he hurt. Ahithophel, here it is, is Bathsheba's grandfather. And this is where it takes a darker tone or turn um, because clearly as we keep reading the story, Ahithophel still has a grudge against David for killing Uriah, for stealing Bathsheba away, for changing everything. So he's still holding David accountable for his past mistakes. The devil is gonna try to reach those people who know about your past. He's gonna try to reach those people that can bring up your mistakes again, that know how to just push your buttons and make you feel worthless. He sent for Ahithophel, the one that was closest to David, but also Bathsheba's grandfather, which tells us hard times reveal true friends. Hard times in your life will reveal true friends. And this is where it gets a little bit rated R. David finds out what is happening. He hears about the rebellion and he leaves Jerusalem for his own safety. But then later we see Absalom enters back into Jerusalem with his entourage and the Bible says that he asked Ahithophel for advice. 2 Samuel 16, 20 through 22, then Absalom turned to Ahithophel and asked him, what should I do next? And Ahithophel told him, go and sleep with your father's concubines. For he has left them here to look after the palace. Then all of Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation and they will throw their support to you. So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it. And Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. The Bible is not boring, you're boring. <laughs> Just kidding, you're not boring. But the Bible's not boring. But what do we see here? Let's dive deeper into this. The grandfather of Bathsheba is still holding a grudge against David. So he tells uh, Absalom to go sleep with his father's concubines. Where? On the roof where everybody can see it, midday. What else happened on that roof? It's the same roof of the palace where David saw Bathsheba. You see what he's doing? He's bringing up the past. He's bringing up the past in a way that hurts David to the core, reminding him of his moral failure, bringing embarrassment into his life for his family and even for his kingship. It was a sign of disgrace to the max. But also, listen, David knew it was coming. Did you know that this prophecy was revealed to him by the prophet Nathan? Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, if you go back, 
Nathan told David, this is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, David, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. There will be division in your household because, again, what you sow is what you reap. And if you cause trouble upon another person's house, you receive trouble on your house, David. Okay, so division will take place in your family. And then he said, I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. I just want you to take this story in. Because how can David forgive himself after all this? David has ran away now. He's ran away from the kingdom. We'll talk about this next week, but he also thinks that Absalom's gonna be the next king. He believes that he has lost it all. Maybe God is getting him back. Look at the mess that he has created. How can David forgive himself and move forward? And so my last point is this. We can forgive ourselves because Jesus has first forgiven us. We can forgive ourselves because Jesus has forgiven us. Listen, have you ever looked at your life and said, wow, what a mess I've made? The decisions that I have made, I can't believe that I, I went this direction, that I did this, and now look at my family. Everything is messed up. Everything is falling apart. I pray that this helps. But so did David. And the Bible, when it talks about David in the New Testament, and this is why I love it because again, God removes our sins and he chooses to forget them and he leaves them in the past. Did you know every time David is mentioned in the New Testament, he's not mentioned so much for his moral failure, his mistakes, sin, but he's mentioned as a, a, great, a great king. And Jesus would come from the lineage of King David and he's mentioned many times in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart, which tells us that God desires true repentance. And when you seek true repentance, you actually please the Lord. Because the moment Jesus came into your life, listen, he already knew the mistakes that you would make, but he didn't abandon you, he didn't leave you, he didn't forsake you. He knows the struggles that you're going through. He knows the addictions that were in your life. He also knows the battles that are coming. He knows the failures that are still meant to come into your life that you haven't even gone through yet, but he still chooses to love you and redeem you and restore you. And this is what we see with David. David was loved by God and you are too. But if you've done something wrong, and you've repented to the Lord, but you're having a hard time forgiving yourself, what do you do? So the first thing you need to do is this. Remind yourself, Jesus has forgiven you and washed away your sins. And believe it. Second Samuel 12, 13, remember what Nathan also said to David when he repented? For David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes. But the Lord has forgiven you, David. And God would not take away his kingship. God would not take away his authority. But he did allow David to struggle at times to run back into the presence of God. And sometimes, guess what? We need a struggle to run back to God. Because sometimes being comfortable is the greatest temptation we face. We think we're good and we're no longer chasing the Lord's presence. So sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable for us to chase him again. First John chapter one, verse nine states this, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our wickedness. The second thing is this though, and this may be the most difficult for you, but learn to trust that God will carry you through the consequences of your past bad decisions. Remember last week I said, you can pick your decisions, but you cannot pick your consequences. 
we live in a fallen world and yes, Jesus has forgiven you, but there are still consequences to your actions. There may be people that you have wronged and hurt that still are having a hard time talking to you again or forgiving you at this very moment, but you have to give it over to the Lord and do the best that you can to please God. But I love this. Did you know that there's a Psalm in Psalms three verses one through eight that David writes to the Lord when he's on the run from Absalom. Here's what he said. He said, oh Lord, I have so many enemies and so many are saying God will never rescue me. God's not gonna come to my rescue. I've done too much wrong in my past, but you, oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. For the Lord who was watching over me, I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, oh Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. I like that one. We can pray that more often. <laughs> Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, oh Lord. May you bless your people. See, David ran to the Lord's presence and he realized that not only had God forgiven him of his faults, but the Lord would still protect him from his enemies. And the Lord is not only gonna forgive you, but he's also gonna protect you from the lies of the enemy. And every time the enemy tries to bring up your past mistakes, then give it over to the Lord, because guess what? They will be held accountable for every word that they use to condemn you. So pray for them instead and give that weight over to the Lord. And that's the third point. Let go of the weight, like I illustrated today. Let go of the weight that you can't hold, that you can't handle, and give it over to the Lord. And the last thing is this, I'm gonna have you stand right here, and I'm gonna have our, our prayer team come up front, because I need you to believe this. No matter what you have done in the past, no matter what mistakes you have made, you are a new creation through Jesus Christ. Your old self is dead, and now you're new in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. And I'm here to tell you that you can run to Jesus at this altar today and start your new life and no longer be in bondage of your past mistakes or the moral failures that you have committed. Jesus can set you free from that today. And so in this moment, we're gonna go back into a time of worship. And if you need prayer over forgiving someone, if you need prayer over letting something go, then please come up to this altar and let us pray over you and let the weight be lifted off of you. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.